Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Two hours in Myanmar. You know, Myanmar has been on the news in recent weeks. Not for a good thing, actually. But it wasn't all that long ago that Myanmar was a closed society in that tourists were not allowed to step foot in the country. Previously known by the more familiar name of Burma, a population of 50 million make it the 25th most populated country in the world. Yangon, formerly known as Rangoon, is the capital city and the main port city of entry into the country, while Mandalay is another port of entry which is located in the centre of the country. Interestingly, the airport code for Yangon is RGN, which stands for Rangoon, which never changed to reflect the city's new name. The country has a long history of turmoil, especially during World War II, and more recently with the United Nations report of human rights violations under the rule of the military junta. In 2010, a civilian government was installed, and since then, the country has been more accepting of visitors. During that period of time when I couldn't go, I really wanted to because it intrigued me how a country would not want to allow foreigners to see and experience its culture and historic buildings. Well, it was a bit of a mystery. I made the decision to see what lay behind closed doors in the summer of 2014. So in April that year, I applied for a visa from the Myanmar Embassy in Washington, D.C., Their website was not too intuitive, and some of their menu options exposed error messages. However, I stumbled through it and downloaded an application form. There are a couple of mandatory requirements, which were that I had to have a confirmed hotel and flight booking before a visa could be granted, so the immigration officials in Yangon would know that my arrival date and accommodation details before granting me entry. At one time... Myanmar had a process for applying for a visa upon arrival, but for some reason that has been cancelled. My application was sent by Federal Express for tracking purposes. I also included a self-addressed FedEx envelope to ensure my passport made it home safely. The turnaround time only took a week, and I received my visa in April of 2014 for travel in July. The reason I applied over three months in advance of my travel was because I had tentative plans to go elsewhere between April and July, so I did not want to be without any uh, passport at that time. I booked accommodation in Yangon's city centre at a place called the City Centre Plus Hotel through the website Agoda, the online travel agency. Advance payment was required, which I don't normally submit to, but 
as the rates were low compared to booking with the hotel directly, I decided to secure the reservation. My travel plans for me and Ma were booked well in advance, so all I had to do was wait until July. After a seven-hour layover in Singapore's Changi Airport, where I slept for five of them in a room at the Transit Hotel, I boarded the flight for Yangon. The Transit Hotel is a no-frills hotel, basically a bed in a windowless room designed for people like me, for passengers with long layovers. I was excited about visiting Myanmar, a place that has been on my bucket list. Yes, I know it's an overused term for a few years. I was sitting in row two for the three-hour flight to Yangon, so once we parked the gate, I was first off the plane for the short walk to immigration with all my paperwork in hand, keeping my excitement in check. I walked straight up to the immigration desk and handed everything over to the female officer. I sensed something was wrong as she looked at her computer screen. Your visa has expired, she said in her best English. How can it be? I gasped. It's expired, she repeated. Well, how can I be? I said again. Your visa is valid for 90 days, she briefly explained. Right. It's 90 days from the date I enter the country, I explained in a little more detail, as if I knew about their immigration process and the people who work there. She shouted something in her native language across the hall to a military official. The lineup for immigration was getting longer, so more staff had to be called in to help the incoming passengers. The military officer spoke a little English, but he did say, your visa has expired. I tried to explain what I thought was right, that the 90-day period should start when I enter the country, not the date when the visa was issued. Wait here, he said in a stern voice before he walked off to gather assistance. A few minutes later, I was asked to step aside away from the immigration area and was surrounded by about six airport security officials. Your visa has expired, another informed officer said. I had to explain my side of the story, which at the time made absolute no sense to me, and I was determined to prove that the immigration staff were incorrect. I had copies of everything with me, including the application form that I completed for the embassy back in the USA. I opened it up and pointed my finger at the statement on the form where it clearly indicated my arrival date and hotel details. If what you are saying is true, then why did they issue me a visa knowing that my date of arrival was more than 90 days from the date of application, I stated confidently. There was awkward silence. I'm not sure whether they were thinking that their own beloved embassy in the United States had made an error or that the American tourist standing in front of them was questioning their judgment and authority to the extent they felt threatened. One of the military gentlemen threw up his arms into the air and walked away. Another airport official who had a calm demeanor and spoke good English said to me, I don't think they're going to let you in. He began to act as the middleman between me and the immigration department. Now, under the circumstances, he was the right man for the job, and it seemed quite evident that he had been in this situation before. Being the liaison between a forthright military immigration department and a disgruntled tourist was necessary, but ultimately, I knew he would take sides with the people from his own country. He spoke enough English to get by.
I also have a hotel book that I paid for in advance and is not refundable, I added in search of a little sympathy. Can you try and talk with them a bit more, I begged. Follow me, he replied. He led me to a small vacant departure lounge where he told me to wait. I will be back soon, he said somewhat nervously. My mind started to race. I think not only about the $400 I would lose from the hotel booking, but where I would spend the night. Additionally, I was now in danger of not being able to see some of the great historic and religious sites that I had spent months looking forward to see. Ten minutes had passed before I started to nervously pace around the immediate area, expecting something to happen momentarily, either good or bad. I wanted them to make a decision, either let me stay or let me go. My negotiator returned with the news. They will not let you enter, he said. After thinking just a few minutes before that, I just wanted a decision to be made. I now wanted a second opportunity to argue my point to the obstinate military officials. So why am I being punished for your country's mistake? I asked belligerently. The decision has been made, Mr. Teasdale. We have to make arrangements to get you back to Singapore. I am sorry. You will have to take it up with the embassy back in America, he said in a voice that sounded pretty sincere. I don't want to go to Singapore. I've just come from there. Why would I want to go back there? I said to him while having thoughts of how he was going to answer this one. He did, like an experienced counsellor, of rude and obnoxious tourists. So where would you like to go, he asked. I was on the verge of saying Mandalay, which is the second largest city in Myanmar. Right before that potential moment of stupidity and upset the one person in the country who was trying to help me, something in my head reset. Now, realizing the fact I had to get out of Dodge, a sensible approach was required to ensure that I could leave without spending the night at the airport, or worse still, in a cell somewhere. My stay in Myanmar was to be five days, after which I was due to go to Bangkok. Rather than return to Singapore, I told him that I would like to go to Bangkok if there was a later flight. My planned departure time on the day from Yangon to Bangkok was at 10 a.m. with Bangkok Airways, but as it was evening time, I was quite surprised when he said, well, yes, there is a flight to Bangkok. It leaves in about an hour and a half. Do you want me to sort it out for you? Absolutely, I said. In all the confusion, I had completely forgotten about my luggage. I gave him my receipt, but at the time, I wasn't convinced that it would make the flight. There just seemed to be too much disorganization and confusing to get it done successfully. I could only hope. He immediately left the room to try and get me a boarding pass for that flight. Meanwhile, I was confined to the same area until he returned, likely because I was in a secure room, somewhere between plain side of immigration and the airport's departure area, where all passengers must have a boarding pass in their possession. There was no escape, basically. The cellular service in the airport wasn't great, but I did manage to call the Holiday Inn in Bangkok and stumbled through a conversation and asked them if I could check in five days earlier than planned. Luckily, they obliged. Plan B was now in place. 
My new best Burmese friend returned with the news that he could get me on the flight provided I handed over $50 for the change fee. I did not have any local currency, so I was fortunate that they accepted U.S. money. He also handed me a piece of paper, which he had handwritten this. Dear sir, may I get your email to send you receipt for your payment of USD 50? Just now my system is not work and I will send you your payment received via email. Sorry for you inconvenience. Regards, EI. I wrote down my email address and he left in a hurried manner to get my boarding pass. The time was inching closer to the scheduled departure time. And in fact, it was only 45 minutes before the plane lifted off and I had yet to go through security. The next 15 minutes tested my nerves before he finally came back to me with a boarding pass and a new luggage receipt. I was free to go. He pointed me in the right direction, so I picked up my hand luggage and at a brisk pace, I headed for the departure gate. I had the nerve to even stop and buy some water and a souvenir from a small store, which I paid for in US dollars, but received the change in Burmese Kiat, the local currency. Luckily, there wasn't a line at security. Probably because most people on the plane had already been through it. I pointed at my watch to the security guards in an attempt to tell them I was in a hurry. They must have got the point, as they ignored the fact that I had a bottle of water in my hand luggage. I arrived at the gate. There was no lineup because every passenger was already on the plane. As soon as I entered through the door, the Bangkok Airways cabin staff greeted me with a friendly smile, showed me to my seat, and closed the aircraft door. Within five minutes, the plane lifted off, and an hour and a half later, I arrived in Bangkok for a night out in the wildest city on the planet. My luggage made it as well, so the last few hours of disappointment were put on hold as I passed seamlessly through immigration, picked up a taxi, and before too long, I was checking in at the very nice Holiday Inn on Sukhumvit Road in the heart of downtown Bangkok. When I returned home, I called the Myanmar Embassy in Washington, D.C. and explained the situation. The main point of contention was that they issued me a visa knowing exactly my arrival date into Yangon and that the immigration officials refused entry because they said it had expired. I also asked them for the $400 that I paid in advance for the hotel in Yangon. Crickets. Basically, they didn't know how to handle the situation, so rather than listening to me nitpick at them over the phone, they asked me to write them an email explaining everything. This I did, but the email obviously didn't get traction as I never heard anything. Eventually, I gave a protest because I came to the realization that continuing was pointless, as there will come another time when I'll apply for a visa for a second attempt to get into Myanmar. I didn't want to be on the blacklist when my application landed on their desk the next time. The story will continue. And as a follow-up, yes, I returned to Myanmar the following year, the whole visa process had been updated, and I successfully entered the country. Best to read the podcast on Myanmar, where I stayed in the country for five days. It's called Like a Sudden Hope in the Dark Night 
of the soul. A wonderful experience. Thanks for joining me today. Stay safe. Stay well. Bye. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe. Thank you.